I just can't help to wonder that that message here tonight is needs to be heard. God, that we have hope and trust in you, God. There's nothing here on this earth that's worth grasping home to, that's worth than our relationship with you, Lord. God, we know that we can trust you. You're trustworthy, God. You're, we know that you're going to carry us through, God, that you're always there. Your word says that you will never leave us or forsake us. God, so we're holding on to that. We're holding on to that truth. We're holding on that you're faithful and that you have a, a plan and purpose for our lives. So, God, we just thank you for that. God, be with Chris as he becomes your mouthpiece to the gospel of the Jesus of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you give Justin and the band a hand for a great job? We would like for you to stay standing the whole service tonight. I hadn't seen this many warm bodies in a long time. It's great to have you with us. It's great to have those of you who have joined us online, listening or watching. And we are excited to be back in a semi, semi, semi normal way at church. Have you ever had a life-changing encounter? There's enough gray hair in here that we have, many of us have. When I was a freshman in college, I, I played football at Mississippi College over in Clinton, Mississippi. And one of my fellow freshman football players was a guy named Jude Hoda. With a name like Jude Hoda, you never forget that person. Jude was from Petal, Mississippi. He was a great guy, great athlete, and a great football player. He was a funny guy, and he had a 22 bullet in his forearm. And after I'd got to know him a little bit, and by the way, young men, I don't encourage you doing this, but you might just stick one, a fake one there, because it would make the girls want to talk to you. I said, Jude, how in the world did you get a bullet in your arm? He goes, well, I got shot. Well, I figured that. A couple of years earlier, he'd been working at a convenience store, and one evening, a guy came in the store, young guy, pulled out a gun, and said, give me all your money. Well, Jude thought the guy was joking. He laughed. The guy pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. All that did was make my friend more confident. And the guy said, give me your money or I'm going to shoot. And Jude laughed again. And the guy pulled the trigger the second time and the gun went off. And it hit him in the forearm. And this is a big, tough guy. He said, I screamed. The crook screamed. Jude ran out of the back door. The crook ran out of the front door. And they ran into each other out back of the convenience store. And it was a life-changing encounter for him. Well, we're in Isaiah chapter 6 this evening, if you have a Bible. If you don't, the scriptures will be on the screens. But this is a great story. No promises on it being a great message, but a great story about a life encounter, an encounter that changed someone's life. You know, this evening, I think you would agree with me, these are sad and confusing times, aren't they? That They are. I mean, there's a lot, I think, to be optimistic about, but they're confusing and they're sad. And, and I, I, my mother used to say, misery loves company, and so it helps us, I think, to to realize these aren't the first sad and confusing times in world history or in the history of the United States. The Civil War, a devastatingly sad time. Uh, the Great Depression in the 30s and World War II and other times that have been difficult. And, and we're experiencing that now, but we go back thousands of years ago. So were the people in Isaiah's day. In verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. King Uzziah was a great king. He was the king of Judah, which was the southern kingdom of Israel. Uh, Israel was divided in two, two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern of Judah, the Jewish people were. He had reigned for 52 years. Some historians say he was the last good and godly king. And, and Isaiah is probably in the temple, and he certainly is mourning the loss of this godly king. They say that the country was on a moral decline, sounds familiar, and that there was just things were not going well. One Bible scholar marked this chapter, the making of a prophet, the making of a preacher. And I think it's interesting, a lot of times when God's wanting to make you or me or take us to the next level, he has to take us through the dark times to get us ready to be used by him. Sad and confusing times. And, and certainly these are again today. I mean, I, I feel so much for, for people who are graduating high school and college and medical school and veterinarian school and master's degree work that don't get to enjoy that real graduation. We're going to have a graduation ceremony by here, uh, by the way, in later June for our graduates on a Sunday morning. Proms, missing proms, and I, I've done three weddings in the last two and a half weeks, and, and they've been wonderful, but they've been small, and they've been strange, and they've been different. Funerals, I've done a couple of funerals, and it's the same way. It's just, a, it's just an odd, sad time. We're confused. We're intelligently, we have concerns about our, our country and our economy. They're sad and confusing times. But again, I want you to go back. They certainly were when these words were written 740 years before Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this evening, in sad times, what we need more than anything else is we need an encounter with God. We need a right encounter with God. And that's exactly what our friend in the story is going to have. I have a, a dear friend who's a leader in another state, and he was telling me recently about he had had to make some hard decisions, and it had affected some people who were in leadership in his organization and their family. And he said, I tried to give them a couple of weeks before I contacted them, you know, because it's social distancing, everything. They're not doing anything where they could get out. So he said, I emailed the man, and I said, hey, I know I've been trying to give you some space to process things. He said, the guy emailed him back, I don't need space. I need to be sitting down with you face-to-face -face discussing this matter. He wanted an encounter, didn't he, in a rather aggressive way. I don't like those kind of encounters. But an encounter with God is what we all need. Again, in verse 1, in the year when King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We believe Isaiah was, was in his temple at this point. And if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to keep a pen and paper with you, the word saw there is very significant. It means to see someone intellectually, maybe not physically, to understand and to be fully aware of. No, it's not that he had a full grasp on God. We never will this side of heaven. But what he was saying was, in my depression, in my sadness, in my confusion, I saw God. I had an intellectual, personal experience, encounter with God. And I want to tell you, that's exactly what you and I need this evening. Maybe for some, uh, some of us that are here or watching, watching at the depot, you need that first-time encounter with God. You, you may have been baptized, sprinkled, christened, joined the church, taken Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, done it all, 
be a deacon, a preacher, whatever, but you've never had a life-changing salvation encounter with Jesus. Man, what a great day to have that. Others of us are Christians, and, and maybe we're just away from God is the truth. We, we're, not, we're not near where we used to be or who we used to be. And you know what you need tonight? You need an encounter with God. You need an encounter with God. A fresh encounter with God. And I would submit to you, everybody here, for the most godly person listening or watching, we need regular, fresh encounters with God. Man, how life-changing those are. You know, I read this week, and I'm sure many of you have read, that our House of Representatives just passed a new $3.2 trillion stimulus package. And there's a lot of strange things in there that seem to have nothing to do with the coronavirus. But I digress. And, and you may need another check. I don't know. I mean, the checks have been helpful, absolutely. But I want to tell you what you and I need more than a stimulus check. We need an encounter with God. We need an encounter with God. And I want to tell you, too, and this is so important, it is possible. You say, well, how can I have an encounter with God? In James chapter 4, verse 8, listen to what it says. This is one of my favorite verses. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double mind. You see, it's the neatest thing ever. God, God wants to have an encounter with you and me more than we want to have it with him. In the story of the prodigal son, it's a picture of God and us, and the father is looking for the son to come home, and when he spots him, he runs to see him. You want to have an encounter with God? You got to come on God's terms. You got to come humbly and repent it. But God says, if you will draw near to me, friend, I am waiting to draw near to you. You can have that, and we need that. And I want to tell you this, and this is so absolutely fantastic. A true encounter with God will change your life. A right, true encounter with God will change your life. Now, I put right there for a reason because you can have an encounter with God and ignore him. You can blow him off. You can miss the encounter. But when you have a right encounter with something that's powerful, it's going to change you. How many of you have seen the movie Jaws? It came out when I was 12 years old. We have a picture of a great white shark. Is that not terrible? That was at Lake Darbone last weekend. I'm just kidding kids. I watch that movie, and I love going to the beach, but I'm going to tell you, I get waist deep, and I'm looking for fins. I cannot enjoy it unless my wife's a little farther out. Then I know that, you know, I'd be able to get away probably. When I was, when I was young, my family, we'd taken a vacation to Tampa, Florida, and I don't know where my older, oldest sister was, but I have a sister three years older, her and myself and my little brother were out in the Gulf swimming. My little brother was so small, he had on a yellow or orange life jacket. He's bobbing like a cork. We saw fins. And my sister and I did the most horrible thing ever. We ran on the water back to the... Jesus walked on water. We did too that day. We ran, we ran back to the beach, leaving our little brother just like perfect bait, like a cork, Pop it up and down the water. Well, thank goodness they were porpoises, and I guess my parents probably spanked my sister and I until we couldn't sit again. But you know, a, a shark would be a life-changing encounter. And by the way, if the coronavirus doesn't scare you, the killer murder hornets from Japan and Asia should. Is that not crazy? You survive the virus, and then you get attacked by murder Asian hornets. That's absolutely incredible. That would be a bad encounter, in my opinion. But we're going to talk about a good encounter, and that's a good encounter with God. 
Let me tell you what Isaiah shows us happens when we really encounter God. The first thing is this. We see God as He is. We will see God as He is. I want to tell you again, we, we can't exhaustively know God this side of heaven. I love in Revelation 22, it says, in heaven we will see God's face. Is that not wonderful? But this side of heaven, we, we can't exhaustively know God. But hey, we can encounter Him deeper and deeper all the time. If you're taking notes, you can write John 1, 1 down. John 1, 1 talks about Jesus in the beginning the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 in that same chapter, it says, In the Word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen, the whole idea of Jesus coming to earth was certainly to die for us and to arise for us and save us, but it was also so we could see what God was like. In Colossians 1 and 2, it says, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So we can have that. In verse 1 again, it says, in that year, King Uzziah saw the Lord, experienced God. Listen to what he says about what he saw. Sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Folks, when you encounter God, you're going to have a fresh view of how awesome God is. Now, the robe, his, the, 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 basically, the back of his robe filling up the temple. Think about that. If a bride's Back of her dress filled up the worship center. Either she'd be real big or that'd be a pretty awesome dress. And I think that's just a way of saying, man, God, God can't be contained. God can't be contained. Verse 2 is a wonderful verse. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Don't you look forward to the day when you get to see the seraphim? By the way, this is the only place in the Bible that they are mentioned. But apparently they're covering their faces because they can't look at the face of God. And look what they say in verse 3. And he called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Repetition was a Hebrew way of magnifying someone. So he's saying, holy, holy, God is awesome, perfect, pure, and wonderful. His glory fills the earth. His glory fills the temple in heaven. And verse 4, the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Anytime in the Bible when the house is filled with smoke, that means something awesome has happened. You know what you need today and I need today? We need a fresh glimpse of how wonderful and powerful our God is. And when we have a, an encounter with God, it changes our gripes and our complaints and the criticisms to realize what a wonderful, awesome God that we genuinely have. What, what a tremendous, tremendous thing. He's our creator. He's perfect. He's holy. He's loving. He's God. Man, when you have an encounter with God, it gives you a fresh vision of God. Here's the second thing. We see ourselves as we are. This isn't as pretty, but it's so important. And in verse 5, I, I said, woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I will dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, when he says, I'm lost, he doesn't mean I'm not a believer in Christ anymore. He literally means I'm undone. I'm desolate. I'm in trouble. And he says, I'm a person of unclean morally and ritually, unclean lips. And for a preacher or a musician to say they're a person of unclean lips, that's a bad thing. He said, man, I have seen God and, and it, is, it shows me 
who I am. Now, I want to tell you, this is not an encounter with God that makes you feel worthless and unvaluable because you are very valuable. It's shown us who we really are with a positive end in mind. You may have had encounters with other people when they've decided to set you straight. You ever had any of those? And, and when they tell you what they think about you and, and they're correcting you and, and, and you, you normally leave those meetings feeling about this high, right? Because the purpose is not to help you, it's to break you and to vent on you. That's not what God's doing. But what everybody in this room and everybody watching and listening needs is to see God for who He is and to see ourselves for who we are. And I want to tell you, when that happens, it humbles us. We realize we're a sinner in need. Dr. Adrian Rogers was a great pastor in Memphis, Tennessee for years, and he tells a great story when he was in high school. He was feeling God's presence on his life, and he went out to his local football field to pray, and he got down on his face, and he started praying. Now, by the way, this wasn't artificial turf either. So he said, as I prayed, I felt the presence of God more and more, and I put my face into the, the grass. And as I felt God's face presence more and more, I, I took my hands and I dug into the dirt and stuck my face into the dirt, not as a way to debase himself. As he said, as I felt the presence of God, it humbled me, and it helped me see that he's the perfect crea creator, and I'm a creature in need of God and his love and his mercy. I want to tell you when, when you, when you encounter God, that's the problem with so many people in churches. Man, we hadn't encountered a God enough to be humble and to be broken. My wife has a mirror. And men, if your wife has this, or young men, when you get married, if your wife has this, it's a dangerous mirror. It's one they keep normally by the, the sink. One side is normal. The other side, you flip it over, and it's not normal. Some of you women have these kind of mirrors. And like, like I have two chins here, but like you have five chins when you look at it in that mirror. And you have things on your face that you go, that is not me. But I'm going to tell you, it is you. <laughs> it exposes you for who you are. And, and when, we, when we have an encounter with God and how desperately we need this, it, it shows us who we are and it ought to humble us and ought to break us. But the third thing, again, that breaking us is not to, to ruin us. It's we seek God and receive his forgiveness. When you encounter God and see him for who he is and for who we are, it ought to, it ought to drive us to repent. In verse 6, he says, One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. In the, in the temple, there were fires regularly. And it says in verse 7, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And we hope and believe that was probably a figuratively touching his lips with the coal. But I love this here. See, God never breaks us to run us. God breaks us to make us. And the only way you're ever going to have an encounter with God that's going to change your life and your eternity is to be humbled and repentant. And man, I love this so much. God is, God is so willing. He, he's more willing to forgive us than we're willing to confess and repent. But boy, no matter what's on your plate or what's in your past, when you come to God cleanly, God forgives you and restores you. 
You see an encounter with God. You see Him. You see yourself. You receive His forgiveness and cleansing. And the last thing is absolutely great too. It brings about a wholehearted willingness to serve. When you encounter God, you will be wholeheartedly ready to serve God. I've been pastoring for a while. This is my fourth church. I've pastored tiny church, and this is a pretty good-sized church. One thing in every church I've ever pastored, every friend I've known that's pastored, is you never have enough workers. You never have enough help. By the way, if you go back and read Jesus' words, he prays at one point. He says, pray to the Father for workers. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. There's always lost people and there's always needs. That's never going to change. But look what happens when Isaiah has this fresh encounter with God in verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. If you're taking notes, you've got to write this down. That word go, that little Hebrew word in the Old Testament, go, literally means to send, but it means to be sent or to go, and you don't know where you're going. Here's what happened. Isaiah heard God said, who will step up? Who will get in here and do something? Who will help? Who will go? Isaiah didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what God was asking him to do. But he said, here am I, send me. Most of us have a list of places we're going to live, we're going to stay, we're going to go, what we're going to do, and as long as it fits into our schedule, we'll do it. That's not how you serve God, friends. You haven't encountered him or you've lost that encounter. When we encounter God and have an encounter with God that changes our life, we're willing to look at God and say, God, I don't know where you're saying to go or what you're telling me to do, but I'll do it. I'm in. That's what happens when you encounter God. I know what some people say. They say, I'm too old. How can God use me? By the way, until God takes you home, he wants to use you. Isn't that good? You don't retire from serving God. There was a man in Florida a number of years ago. He was 89 years old, and he started stealing stuff, shoplifting. And he ended up before a judge, and, and the, the judge said, you know, what are you doing? And, and you know, it's a serious amount of stuff. You're 89. I'm going to give you probation. Three months later, he's back in there again, and the judge says, what are you, what are you doing? I'm going to give you probation because you're an older man, but, but this is done. I want to see you again. Six months later, he's back in there again. The judge says, I'm sentencing you to 30 years in prison. The older man dropped his dentures. <laughs> he goes, I'm 89 years old. I can't do 30 years. And the judge smiled and said, just do what you can. You know what God's telling you today? Well, I can't sing a solo, sing in the choir. Well, I can't teach. Be a greeter. Man, what an important ministry. You don't have to be in a position where you're shining to shine for Jesus. Listen, when, when God in Isaiah connected after repentance and cleansing and forgiveness, when God said, I need help, Isaiah said, sign me up now. General Omar Bradley was a great World War II general for America. And in his memoirs, The Soldier's Story, he tells about a colonel named Paddy, P-A-D-D-Y, Flint. And on Paddy Flint's helmet was an unusual markings. He had A-A-A-0. And of course, everybody wanted to know, Colonel, what did that mean? And here's what he said. It meant when the United States 
when my superiors call me, I will go anywhere, anytime, and do anything bar nothing. You know what God's waiting to hear from you and me this evening? God, anything, anytime, anywhere, bar nothing. And I want to just tell you, I believe when we have a fresh encounter, a real encounter with God, our willingness to serve goes up about 200%. Many, many years before Jesus Christ, a guy who was a good guy and a, and a preacher already had a fresh encounter with God that changed his life and thus changed the lives of a lot of other people. You have that opportunity this evening to have a first-time encounter, a fresh encounter, or just that daily, weekly encounter that you need. I promise you it will change your life. And it will change the lives of the people that God's going to use you to influence for many, many years. God's waiting on you. Will you say yes to him? I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a, just a moment. If you're a Christian, I want, to, I want to challenge you to pray with me this to God. And if you're not a Christian, but you're ready to give your life to Christ, to pray as I'll lead you gently in just a moment. Let's bow our heads. Christians, I would just encourage you to say to Jesus tonight, Lord, I want an encounter. God, I want to see you. I want to see myself truly. I want to be changed and different in God. Here am I. Send me. And if you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're one, but you're ready today to have that first eternal encounter with Christ, pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you. 